Do you have a friend that you feel like you can just open up and tell everything about you to that friend? Well, Jesus wants to be that type of friend to you. And our prayer life ought to look like that with Jesus, just open-hearted prayer. John chapter 15, um, in verse 12, Jesus begins to speak about how he's our friend. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. So Jesus isn't holding anything back from us. What he's heard from the Father, he's shared with us. He calls you his friend if you know him personally. Let's spend some time before we hear the message this morning opening ourselves up to our king who is also our friend. Maybe there is a struggle that you're feeling that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus. Uh, maybe there's just something that's worried you and bothered you that you just need to share with a friend. Share it with Jesus. Father, we praise you because you are a personal God, a God who knows us more intimately than any friend or family member ever could here on earth. We pray this morning, help us to draw near to you, and then in that, draw near to us. Please send your Holy Spirit and be present with us. Help us to hear your word, and let it shape us and, and change us, Lord God. Make us different. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, this morning actually marks my two-year anniversary here uh, as Hallsville Baptist Church's pastor, and let me tell you, I just have absolutely loved it. Me and my family absolutely love living in Hancock County, and it, it's not one of those things where it, it's like love is an obligation feeling for us. It's, we, we actually like it here too. We, we love our church, but we also like you very much. And we're so pleased to be here and, and to be a part of Fallsville Baptist as well as um, Hancock County in general. Now, let me tell you though, one thing that I have not liked about Hancock County 
in Hallsville in particular thus far is, and you probably don't like it either, cell phone reception, right? The closer you get to the river, you don't have any cell phone reception to make any calls. I mean, there's been countless times where I've called somebody in the church office, and then my call either drops or they can't hear me, and then I'll, I'll finally get out, well, I'll call you on the church landline. I mean, I've done that countless times, ma making calls here. That is until the week after last. I was telling Cody about my problem, and Cody said, well, all you need to do is go into your iPhone settings and enable Wi-Fi calling. And that allows you to call through the Wi-Fi signal, and we actually have good Wi-Fi here um, at the church. I mean, Whoever thought of something, right? Whoever thought of the thing. And it, it, it and it's worked. Like, I haven't had any more problems uh, from that. Perfect reception, uh, making calls uh, in, in the last two weeks. Now, when he told me that, though, I did feel kind of old because I'm a millennial, right? And I'm supposed to be able to handle technology. And I guess, Cody, you're kind of like at the end of the millennials, right? I'm at the beginning so he's not technically Gen Z, but he's almost there, right? He, I, can't, I can remember um, internet coming in, right? Uh, Cody probably can't remember internet coming in. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, going beyond tech to the spiritual, have you ever felt like that with prayer? Like you don't have any reception with your prayers? Maybe your prayers don't seem like they're connecting with God. Like they don't reach above the ceiling uh, with God. Have you ever had that experience um, spiritually? Well, today we're going to learn about prayer and how to pray and what prayer is and how to pray in such a way where you know with confidence that your prayers are being heard by God and are being answered by God. So to do that, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. So this morning we're going to have a short passage, just two verses long, but it's an important passage because this is the first time in all of Scripture where prayer is mentioned. And it's jam-packed with truths that is going to help us to be able to to pray. So Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is God's holy word. So the last couple sermons, as we've been going through this series called Genesis Beginnings, last couple sermons have been focused on, on Cain. Uh, we talked about how Cain murdered his brother, beginning of chapter 4, 
And then last week, we talked about the corrupt line of Cain down to the sixth generation with this man named Lamech. But our passage this morning, we go back to, to Adam and Eve. And as you know, we've already heard, as you probably prior knew as well, Adam and Eve had two sons. There was Cain, who was the older, and then who the other, the younger, was named Abel. You also know that Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was very jealous and envious of Abel. And as a consequence of that, God made Cain, and I'm using the words from the verse, into a restless wanderer. He was cut off from God. He was cut off from other people, and that's how he lived the rest of his life. So after losing one of their sons to murder, Adam and Eve lost the other son to God's judgment. God did still continue to bless Adam and Eve by his grace. They gave them more children. They had another son named Seth. Seth grew and started a family of his own. He had a son named Enosh. Surprisingly, neither Seth nor Enosh is mentioned hardly any more past this in, in the Bible. But something starts during their lifetime that changes the world forever. And that is prayer. Prayer began. We hear in the second part of verse 25, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So people started praying to God, and not just any God. What exactly were they asking God for? Why were they needing help from God? To answer those questions, we need to go back to the first promise in the Bible, a promise that we've already heard in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Before I read it, remember that this promise was given actually as a part of a curse, a, a word of God's judgment and punishment as he was speaking to the serpent, the, the devil, the one who had tricked Adam and Eve into taking the fruit and eating it from the tree that God told them not to. He was the one who lured Adam and Eve into disobedience. So God was telling the snake the repercussions, the consequences, or the curse of what he had done. And he was telling the devil, he was foretelling, I should say, that one day there would be someone that he would send, born of a woman, who would destroy him, who would destroy the devil. Here is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. We all know that Getting struck 
on the heel is a lot less serious as getting hit or struck on the head. The devil was going to get struck or hit on the head, the, the death blow, if you will. While God's chosen one, the Savior that he was going to send, was going to get struck by the devil on the hill, on the hill. And we know from the rest of the Bible, the New Testament, that Jesus did come as our Savior deliverer, and he did get struck on the hill, on the cross, but this wasn't the death blow. Jesus on the cross was actually delivering the death blow to the serpent, to the devil himself. When he died, he, he rose again victoriously and defeated Satan, sin, and death for our sake. That was him striking the head of the serpent. This promise was given, speaking of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. And they most likely, as they were leaving the garden and hearing this promise, and then especially as they had two boys, they had high hopes that maybe right then, almost immediately, one of their boys was going to be this promised deliverer who would give the death blow to the serpent, who was going to stomp on the head of the serpents. Maybe Cain or Abel was going to be this promised one who would destroy Satan. But as we know, Abel, who was a godly son, died. He was murdered by his brother. And then how could Cain be the promised one who was going to defeat the devil when he was acting more like the devil than God? He couldn't have been the promised one either. And then Seth is born to Adam and Eve. But Seth and his son Enosh, again, hardly get much of a mention in the record here. Much less do anything that was going to change everything and defeat the devil. As Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 promised. Neither one of them could have been the promised one. Yet it was at this time, after the birth of Enosh, when prayer begins. People began to call on the name of the Lord. And there's a reason for this. People were not just crying out or, or praying for no reason. They were crying out to God, a God that they believed who had made a promise to send a deliverer to defeat the devil. They were crying out for God to keep his promise. The promise, the only promise thus far that has been given in the Bible, the first promise, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And they were calling out on the name of the Lord. It's very significant. Name of the Lord. Why is it put like that? 
Why is it just they were calling out on the Lord? Why, why the name of the Lord? Because any time that you hear a phrase like that in the scriptures, speaking about God's name, it's talking about his character, his ability to bring about his promises, a God who never lies to his people, who always tells the truth. And furthermore, if you take a look at that verse, verse 25, chapter 4, our, our key verse, calling out on the name of the Lord. If you take a closer look in our English translations, you're going to notice those four letters in the word Lord are all caps. That is signaling to us the word in Hebrew behind that name of the Lord is the name Yahweh, the special covenant name that God gave to his people Israel first to Moses at the burning bush, a God who always keeps his promises, a God who is rich in steadfast love and grace. So the phrase, the name of the Lord, represents God's character and power to do what he has promised. And, and so far in the Bible, we've only heard one promise, the, the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He will strike your head and you will strike his heels. And no doubt this is important. This is important about prayer, learning how to pray, learning what prayer is. Since prayer from the beginning of the Bible is about asking God to keep his promise, all true prayer is doing the exact same thing. All true prayer is calling out on the name of the Lord, in the Lord's character, for the Lord's will, to help us by doing what he has already promised to do. All true prayer is calling out on the name of the Lord, to help us by doing what he has already promised to do. That is what's going on here. The people began to pray to God to send them a deliverer, a deliverer that God had already promised that one day he would send. And the people are calling out on the name of the Lord to come through for them, to help them with their sin, to defeat the devil, to answer his promise. And we know from the New Testament, that God did answer that promise. He did answer the people's prayers here and any other prayer that had been prayed for God to send a Messiah because he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as our deliverer, who took our sin debt on the cross, who bore our condemnation, and then defeated the devil himself by dying and then rising victoriously from the grave to give us a new relationship with God and access to eternal life forever and ever with God. Truly making sin no more, making death no more, making Satan no more. And in doing so, opening wide the gates to God for us in prayer. I want to read you Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
If you are a follower in Jesus Christ, the veil of God's temple has been torn. That happened when Jesus died for you on a cross. Whatever kept you separated from God is no more because Jesus kept all the commandments of God and paid your debt on a cross. And now when you pray in the name of the Lord, seeking his will and his desires for your life, you know that your prayers are going directly into the presence of God. And we go boldly to approach the throne of grace to find help in our time of need because God is that merciful God. He could no more ignore your prayers than ignore his one and only son because you are one with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our go-between, our mediator between us and the Father. Through faith in him, your prayers are being heard so we can go boldly to receive help in our time of need. And furthermore, because he's kept this greatest promise of sending his one and only son to save us, to deliver us from our sin, we know that he's going to keep all the rest of the promises in the Bible that he has given us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says as much, specifically, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. You know what the word amen means? It means, let it be, Lord God. Let it be, Lord God. So as we're praying, we're praying through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're saying, Lord, I'm praying for your will to be done in my life. I'm praying for your desire for me. Amen. Let it be done. And every one of those prayers that's taking hold of the promises of God and seeking the will of God finds its yes and amen through Jesus Christ. God is going to answer your prayers through faith in Jesus Christ. Does this mean that if we're praying for God's will to be done and for him to keep his promises to us that he's given us in the Bible, that all of our prayers are going to be answered? And my answer to that is yes and amen. Just like first or 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, all of God's promises are yes and amen to the glory of God. Then why am I not seeing answers to my prayers, someone may ask. Well, well first off, are you seeking his will or your will? I've heard it said before, prayer is not get, getting my will done in heaven. So it's not trying to compel God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is not getting my will done in heaven, but God's will done here on earth. It's seeking his kingdom come, his will be done. We have to pray, I've heard the word disinterested to describe the way that we pray. Meaning our only desire, our only interest as we pray is for God's will to be done, not our will to be done. So we're 
waiting. We're, we're watching. We're seeking to conform our want to with God's will. And the way that we do that is center our prayers on the Word and specifically pr promises that He has given in the Word. Because if we're praying the promises and seeking His will, that God would answer our prayers, pray based on His promises, we're guaranteed to see answers for our prayers. Because we're not seeking our will, we're seeking His will to be done. And all the promises of God find their yes and amen through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the late theologian J.I. Packer commented on this in a book once, and what he says gives a lot of insight here. He said, God always answers prayers in a positive way, but not always precisely when, where, and how we are hoping. God reserves the right to give better answers in better ways than we were hoping. So you may be praying for something and praying for something and you're, you're holding on to a precious promise. And maybe in your mind previously, you thought an answer to this prayer would look like this. But then as you continue to pray, God shows you something even greater. Because he's got better plans than you previously had for this. God always answers our prayers in a positive way as long as we're seeking his will according to his word and his promises. But we've got to let him be God. He reserves the right to give us better answers to our prayers than we can think or even ask. So as you pray, are you praying with that type of boldness? Are you praying with that type of assurance? If you don't feel like your prayers have that type of reception or connection with God, that's probably why. Because you aren't leaning in on the word of God. Maybe you're still seeking your will rather than his will. Maybe you aren't resting on his promises that are sure, that are yes and amen to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. God always does us good in answer to our prayers as we seek his will and trust his promises. We've just got to trust that he knows better than we do. So before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to give us some time preparing ourselves to take the Lord's Supper and to practice praying a specific promise. I'm going to give you a suggestion on a promise to pray, but maybe God lays another promise on your heart to pray. Here's a promise that you could claim to God this morning. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. So what does that say? What doesn't that say? Well, it doesn't say that God will just give you your heart's desires. He's not just going to give you what you want. First, you have to pray and ask him to conform your desire, your want to, with his want to for you. You have to commit your way to the Lord, and in that, 
he's going to act for you. He's going to shape your desires to make them more like Jesus's for you. And then he's going to give you that. So in prayer, praying that promise, first you've got to pray, God, make me want and desire you. Make me want and desire what you want for my life. And you begin to pray for that. And then when God reveals that will for you in your life, and you start to pray for his will to be done, you just watch and see how God answers that so marvelously. So I want to give you a chance to, to pray and claim a promise this morning and just see how God acts on your behalf. You can trust in him, Psalm 37 says, and he will act. So take just a few moments to pray and to get ready to take the Lord's Supper.